I'd like to welcome you all here. My name is Ben Bacon. Um, I am the Harvest Kids Director here, and I am pleased to open up the Word of God with you today. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. I grew up most of my life around Christians. My dad uh, was a pastor for about 25 years. So I grew up in a variety of churches, many different traditions. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been there. You've been in church after church, and, and some, some traditions carry over and other traditions don't. And so maybe you've had some of that experience. You grew up a little bit like me. Do you want to know something? I, I heard the gospel thousands of times. I'm now convinced of it. I never thought that I, when I was a teenager, I never thought that I ever heard it after I trusted Christ. But looking back, I realized that there was a very particular thing that happened at every single church. Every church talked about Jesus. Every church talked about what God had done in sending this gift of his son. But I didn't understand. And you do that, you grew up around Christians, you grew up in churches, but you didn't get it. You know what I'm talking about? I might be the only one. I grew up in a lot of churches. Like I said, I moved 20 times by 17. Uh, a lot of different churches, a lot of different places, a lot of different people. And then there was this one place and this one time. And I remember it because it's the day that God changed my life. I was going to uh, one of those uh, youth retreats. Anybody been to those youth retreats? They go up to ungodly hours of the night. Yep. Make, they take their teenagers and they make them exhausted teenagers because, you know, nothing prompts a spirit like exhausted teenagers. And I went to this event, and I've been to events. And I tell you, I grew up around Christians, and I had a very hard view of the church and of God. See, I thought because I knew all the stories, some of you know that, I memorized a lot of Bible verses. I could tell you uh, they used to teach something. They may not teach it quite as much now. They call it the Romans Road. It's just these verses out of Romans, and then I think they cheat and go over to Ephesians. We memorized the verses, and they were all about the gospel. I knew the verses. But there was one night. Do you remember the night for you? Do you remember the day for you? Some of you, it may not be quite like it was, but I remember for some reason that the man got up and he shared something, and for the first time, I heard it. See, that man shared with me that I was a sinner. I knew this. I knew that I'd done wrong. I knew that I had offended God, and I was angry about it. I was angry that God would put so many things on me that I couldn't do. He told me that I owed a debt to God because of the things that I had done and the things I had not done, that I couldn't pay it. But there was one way, and only one way, that God, because he loved me, I never felt love like God's love, God, because he loved me, sent his son Jesus, and Jesus comes to the earth. He lives perfectly. He dies. And his blood covers my sins. It pays 
the penalty and the debt that I owed to God. And not only that, Jesus rises three days later and he ascends and right now he is sitting at the right hand of the Father and one day very soon, he's coming. He's coming for his children. He's coming to make all the bad things come untrue. He's coming that perfect righteousness and justice would be here and that he himself will fill the world. Let me tell you, I've heard that hundreds of times and maybe you have too. But there was something special about that day for me because in that moment, I believed. Do you remember the day you believed? I know some of you are here and maybe you're saying, I, I'm coming here and I know there's something different. I know I needed to be in church. I knew I needed to be here, but I, I don't get it. I can remember, I've memorized the verses. I know all the points, but I don't get it. Can I tell you that it is only God who can allow you that? On that day, I wanted to tell you that God himself opened my eyes and I trusted in him. It was an act of God, and I trusted in him, and nothing has ever been the same. You guys remember that feeling? The passion. But something weird happens over time, right? I mean, that, that was 17 years ago for me. You guys ever, ever sit back and start thinking about that time back then? The passion, the drive, right? All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, God says, and we're going to talk about that, he comes in and you feel this energy and this new life and you're like, yeah, I'm here. But over time, something happens. We've titled our series, Whatever Happened to the Church. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. Might I start with this point that what happens to the church is what happens to the members of the church. If you resonate with me on that moment when God changed your mind and you believed you are a member of the church. It's silly to think otherwise. The church is us. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> We're going to look at uh, I've entitled this message the compromise infiltrating the church. Because what happens to you and me is what has happened to churches over time. It's what happens to Christians. It's what's 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 happening to you and me. See, because in many cases, we don't feel the same way as we did at first. And emotions are not everything. We don't always feel that. But if you're honest with yourself this morning, isn't there a part of you that's like, I, I know that there's something here and it's someplace and I, I know it's not right. I know something's not right. Do you anybody feel the way that I feel? And when I look at my life, I think there's some things that are just not right. <clears throat> the book of Galatians was a great book written by Paul. He started the church, churches, and they had the joy of God coming, just like you. And over time, something happened. Let me, let me ask you if this sounds familiar. Over time, there were people who came in because they struggled. Anybody else have a struggle with something, something that's obvious and that's sin in the Bible? But you have a struggle. You're like, this, is, this gets me. This gets me, right? Anybody else? 
There's a couple of you. Thank you for being honest. I'm glad that there's 10 of us. Um, and over time, this, these honest Galatians are sitting there, and there's new people who come in. And these people look very spiritual, and they start telling them about, listen, if you don't want to commit sins anymore, then here's what you can do. We have these set of rules. And the rules, well, if you keep it, this law that we're going to present to you, if you keep it, if you act like us, well, then you'll be fine. And God will keep on loving you but only if you follow these rules. And so Paul writes to them out of desperation and anger and just a fierce love. I feel fiercely about this congregation this morning because we're going to open up the word of God and we're going to look at why is it? Why is it that compromise is infiltrating the church? I don't have to tell you the statistics. You already know it. Why is it that there's a great chunk of, of our Christian people, our, our good Christian singles who have thought, I can, I can live with somebody. I can live with some. You should, it's smart. It's wise to live with someone before, before marriage. Why are, there, why are there so many people going sideways? Why are there people embezzling money? Why are there people cheating on their taxes, lying? Why is there so much brokenness and evil? And why is it expressing so much in our churches? Can I tell you that there's one, two reasons that we're going to talk about this morning. First reason is, first off, we don't understand the war that's going on. We don't understand the war. Galatians 5, 16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. All right, we got to talk about the spirit here, okay? I'm going to do my best. We're not talking weird stuff, all right? Um, you put the verse on the screen. The spirit is promised. God was promising our, his spirit to the people of Israel early on. Ezekiel 36 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh you know that prior to trusting in Jesus Christ, we had hearts that were hard like stone. And I will give you a heart of flesh. That's the new heart. And then God says something really profound. He says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The spirit that's being talked about in Galatians is the Holy Spirit. We call him the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Sometimes he's said as the Spirit of the Lord. Can I tell you who it is? It's God himself. So what you experienced when you trusted in Christ, maybe no one ever told you, this swell, this energy, this reminder, it's God himself. And he's inside of you. He lives with you. The scriptures say that he is a stamp and a seal, and he is a down payment of what's to come. I think I have one more uh, verse on there as well. John chapter 14. This one has been super helpful, and I hope it's helpful to you. And I will ask the Father, Jesus says, 
and he will give you another helper, capital H, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. We're talking Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I know that some of you have trusted in Christ and following trusting Christ. Maybe you drifted out a little ways, a little bit of. So someone gave the gospel to you and the Holy Spirit brought you back to life. And then, and then what happened was, see ya. Can I tell you this morning that part of what you are struggling with on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, is because you don't understand the war. You don't understand that the Holy Spirit of God, that God himself is living inside of you. So when you feel, when I open the word of God, when you hear him, God will speak to you. The Spirit of God uses the word of God in the church of God to bring about the character of God. God has not left you as an orphan. Some of you have had parents who kind of let you raise yourselves, or maybe they weren't even in the picture. Maybe they weren't even there. God's not like that. He wants you to know that he's near. He's with you. That's why he sent the Spirit. It's good to have the Spirit, amen? It's good to have God's presence himself. We've been talking to the Harvest kids about what is it like when God is near to you? You ever ask a second grader to explain what God's like? As an adult, I was running out of words. But God is near, and I feel comfort. Sometimes I feel conviction about something. See, we don't understand the war. See, God places his spirit in you because that's not the only thing that's inside of you, is it? I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. <clears throat> Let me talk about flesh here for a minute. I don't have a lot of slides. I hope that's okay with everybody today. Flesh is the word sarks. Sarks, it's fleshy, fleshy stuff. And sometimes these words are confusing for us to understand, okay? okay let, me, let me break it down, okay? Flesh here is not your body, all right? On the count of three, everyone say, not your body. One, two, three, not your body, okay? There are times when the, when the Bible talks about sarks, flesh being your body, your physical body. Usually it's like flesh and bone. But here that's not what's being talked about. What's being talked about is the entire nature of man. It's all of you. See, it's going to contrast with the spirit. And Paul's been building this argument for a long time. He says, there's something inside of you. It's sarks. It's flesh. It's what you can feel. It's what you can see. It's what's happening here. But it's not just your body. Sometimes in Christendom or Christianity, we get weird ideas like, you know, my spirit really wants to follow God, but just, I have this body. And it's not the case. When the Bible talks about flesh, it talks about not only our mind and our body, but our emotions. It's everything that you have, every part of you, minus the presence of God. 
you want to know, we're going to talk about what the flesh looks like because sometimes people are like, oh, well, this is, this is going to get confusing. Trust me, it's going to get real clear real fast because God's spirit doesn't deal in abstractions. He's not interested in you saying, oh, I don't, I, I don't understand the war. I feel like I understand the war less after Ben explained it. So what, I don't understand what's going on. You're going to understand because God always lays it out. Sarks, flesh, it's what's inside of us. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Talk to you about that word desire. Desire, epithumia. It is a strong, passionate desire. Do you know what I find interesting about this? Is that when you read the scriptures, Paul says, listen, the desires of the flesh, these strong passions, sometimes it's translated as the word lust, but it's a strong, passionate pursuit. You feel compelled. You want to move towards it. You feel this emotional reaction towards it. The flesh desires, it epithumias against the spirit. And do you know what's also interesting? And the Holy Spirit, epithumia, against the flesh. Let me give you an example. I think this is going to be pretty, pretty easy. Can you guys throw up the photo? I think this is a photo that most of you are hoping to look at in real life on TV. And maybe, you know, the eagle side is a little more green. And I tell you, I love NFL football. I love NFL football. I love rivalries. My team's the Detroit Lions. So you can console me later. <laughs> most of you, right? I'm, I'm going to guess most of you guys in here are probably Eagles fans. You got my Eagles fans? There's not much epithumia in here for Eagles fans. Where's the strong passion? Eagles fans, anyone? Go Birds! There we go. Go Birds! Now, who is the most hated rival of the Philadelphia Eagles. The Dallas Cowboys. Let me talk to you about this because football is one of those great illustrators of biblical truth. When the Eagles line up against the Cowboys, right? For that first snap, you feel strong passion, don't you? My Eagles fans, unless you're like, I don't, know, I don't know, think of something you're passionate about. This is the illustration. <laughs> you feel, you epithumia. I have a strong driving desire. And there's another word in there, against. This is the word anti-kenai, literally anti. I am striving and desiring against. And if you are an Eagles fan, you are desiring. And if you're a player on that field, you have a hot, passionate desire to go out and execute your plan on the other team. Do you know what else is interesting about football? It's a good illustration for war because only one side can win. And when 
The Dallas Cowboys push into the end zone. That's a win for them. And it might not be a win for the game. And when the, when the Eagles come in and they smack Dak Prescott again, around, like we hope he will get smacked around a lot this season, when that happens, the Eagles' strong passion, desire against, and it's an active passion. Do you imagine guys just kind of walking around and then just maybe like, I don't know, just pushing each other? Ah, uh, go for the end zone. Touchdown. Right? Do you imagine it? Do you know? Do you know that the flesh, that part of yourself that is, separate, that is apart from God, the part of you that desires to do things wrong, the part of you that loves things that are evil, the part of you that says, you know, God says this, but stay out here, God, because I got my own thing going on, and I know you say this is right and this is wrong, but see here, I've looked at the evidence, and I think that this is right and this is wrong. That part. That part passionately strives against the Holy Spirit. It will not bargain. Do you want to know something about God? God will not, will not compromise with your flesh. Sometimes, see, maybe you're like me. When I, when I trusted Christ, I was 16. I was a teenager. You know, my teenagerhood was all about compromise. Come on, compromise with me. And I wanted, I wanted to live, and I loved all that God had brought into my life, but I still wasn't sure after I got down the road a little bit because there were some things God was saying that were hard for me to hear. There were things God was saying that I don't, know if I, can, I don't know if I can go there with you, God, because when I'm looking at it, I see this. And God's spirit strove with me and he was passionately driving against because if you... If you understand the war, you understand that God's spirit will not bargain with your flesh. He will not leave an area alone. When God brings sin to your attention, things that are blatant sin, and you say, God, I'm not interested in talking about that. How about all these things? Holy Spirit does not move on. And time and time again, he will strive and he will strive and he will strive. Why? Because God loves you. See, God's striving is never against you. God's striving is for you. And we are, we are very, very, very probably difficult to strive with. It's a good thing he's all powerful. We don't understand the war. The second thing is we don't look for the signs. Anybody like signs? I like signs. I'm a rule follower. Where are my rule followers? Chris is always asking where the rule breakers are. Where are the rule followers? Yeah. If there's a rule, I will follow it. I will follow it hard. <laughs> Do you know, it's kind of weird. We actually don't, we don't pay attention to overt signs, if I see a sign in Reading, right, if I need to go anywhere, I'm also directionally challenged. I'm a rule follower, I'm directionally challenged. 
If I see the sign to go somewhere in Reading, man, I am driving that sign. I'm going. How different would it be if we actually approached our Christian lives that way, looking for the signs? Hear what Paul writes. Now the works of the flesh are evident. All right. On the count of three, everyone say evident. One, two, three, evident. You want to know what that word evident means? It's manifest. It's clear. It's obvious. Anybody ever think, man, I, here I thought spirituality was really, I thought following God was going to be like, oh, well, you know, maybe this is right now, and maybe it's not right then, and everything's kind of murky, and everything's kind of gray. And you get that feeling that some churches put that out there? I tell you, the works of the flesh are obvious. They're obvious. Let me list out a couple for you. Sexual immorality. God starts off big. Impurity, sensuality, sexual immorality, any sexual act that's outside of God's perfect gift. Do you know what God's gift is in the beginning? It was one man and one woman in a covenant under God. And it was a commitment. And it was good. And it's still good. Impurity has to do with our immoral behavior. It can have to do with your motivations. Anybody ever have impure motives? Sometimes I have impure motives. We're going to all confess here, right? Confession is good for the soul. Impurity, sensuality, sounds like the same thing. Um, the word is uh, for unbridled lust and excess. And you know what's interesting is it also has that side effect of shamelessness. You ever meet somebody, Christian or not Christian, who's shameless about the evil they do? I have. Anybody ever been that person? I have. Idolatry, the worship of false gods, anything that is more important than God. Sorcery. I always bust on my coworkers. They're big believers in things like crystals and energies and horoscopes and all that nonsense. Sorcery. Here's where it starts to get a little bit closer to home in the church enmity. Anybody know what enmity is? It's hostility. You ever met a hostile Christian? I love Jesus, but I'll kill you. <laughs> Strife, getting to arguments. We're going to talk about striving. There's me and you in a relationship, and not both of us can win, so I'm going to pull against you. Strife. It's a work of the flesh. It's obvious. Jealousy. <sighs> Jealousy. This one gets me all the time. Gets me. I don't know if it gets you. I don't know. I'm doing public confession today. <laughs> Jealousy. I see something is good that's happening to another person or another church or in another company to someone I love, 
right? Because in that moment, I might not be that loving because I want what happened to them to happen to me. God, why are you giving them that and not me? Why are you doing that there and not me? Fits of anger, outbursts of anger, things like abuse, harm, verbal abuse, physical abuse, hitting other people. Anybody ever seen an adult throw a tantrum? Anyone ever been an adult throwing a tantrum? You can ask my wife. I throw tantrums sometimes. I have to confess. Fits of anger. Sometimes it can be silly like throwing a tantrum. Sometimes it can be serious and dark where people are getting injured. Do we see it in the church? We do see it in the church. You know why? Because we see it in ourselves. And we are the church. See, it's not out there. It's not like the evil is out there and it might come and influence us. The evil is in here. And we desperately need the Spirit of God. Fits of anger. Here we go. Rivalries. Competitiveness. Dissensions. Discord. Any sort of angry feelings that we hold against each other. Divisions. You want to study some interesting things about how the church has been plagued by divisions. There has been a great lack of charity, and you want to know something? It's easy for me to say, oh, the church has had such a lack of charity, and then sometimes, I've had times this week, my wife was on uh, a trip for work, and let me tell you, I was pretty uncharitable with my boys at times this week. See, it's not them, it's us. Envy, wishing ill will on someone else who's successful. Drunkenness, pretty easy to see. Uh, see a word that says orgies in there. It's a word that is used most often of just this late night, alcohol-filled, out of control, just party. Uh, it's filled with all kinds of different things of the flesh, many of the things we already listed. And you know what's funny is he ends saying things like these. So maybe you didn't hear yourself. Maybe the Holy Spirit isn't pressing on something that I listed, but the Holy Spirit's pressing on something for you this morning. He wants to get your attention. He's been getting my attention. Let me pass along. God's wanting to get your attention See, because you are experiencing what we have all been experiencing for a very long time, and that's the things that I want to do, I can't do. My flesh is striving against the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me strives passionately against my flesh. And the way that I know that my flesh is still there is that I, I struggle with jealousy. I throw adult tantrums, divisions, dissensions, all of these things, they're not just things I see in others, they're things I see in me. But, but, I wanted to share with you guys a quote by Martin Luther. Really enjoy him. I think I have it on the screen. I want you to be encouraged because God's goodness shines brightly on his church. 
Every period of life has its own peculiar temptations. Not one true believer whom the flesh does not again and again incite to impatience, anger, pride. But it is one thing to be tempted by the flesh and another thing to yield to the flesh, to do its bidding without fear or remorse and to continue in sin. Can I tell you something? God, the Holy Spirit right now is trying to get your attention. That thing that you feel on the inside where God is bringing things clearly to your mind, he's trying to get your attention. And don't resist him because he will not stop striving against you in that area. We need to talk about what the Holy Spirit produces. I think we're all well-versed in what the flesh has done to us and what we've done to each other. What about the Spirit? What about the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you, the Bible describes it as fruit. I got a photo on there for fruit. We'll see. There you go. Anybody like fruit? You know what's great about fruits? Fresh. Most of the time. Tastes good, right? It's that nice rush of sugar. When you see it, it's brightly colored. It's beautiful. I love fruit, all different kinds. So when the Bible talks about the spirit, it talks about fruit. It talks about what happens when a person is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Fruit starts producing out of you. Bible loves this metaphor. What kind of things is it going to start producing in Harvest Reading? Let me tell you. First one, love. Agape. It is the best kind of love you'll ever experience. I'm trying to work on showing it more at Harvest Reading because you know what agape love is? It's not feelings love. It's not feeling affection. And I feel affection for you guys. Agape love is choice love. It's you before me kind of love. And most of us, thinking back on, on our week, might say, you know, I, I, loved my, I loved my kids, you know. Chris, a couple weeks ago, said, you know, he shared a, a scripture. Uh, which of you, having a son who asks him for bread, will give him a rock? right? Big deal. You love your kids. Now, there are people who don't love their kids. There are people who hate their kids. But can I tell you, the more impressive as an evidence of the Spirit is not just churches shake hands. It's not if we greet each other. It's not if we smile. But it's agape love. It's acts where you don't owe me anything. We're not family. We're not blood. In fact, the world coming in here would say, these people don't really, don't really have anything in common. Why are they even getting together? When the Holy Spirit produces, the Holy Spirit produces the kind of love that I do things because I believe that they are good for you, because I love you. Agape love, you before me. I'll do what's in your best interest, even if it's not in mine. I want to see more of that. I need to show it more. And if we're all honest, I think we're 
we would say we need to show it more to each other. Love. Joy. Happiness, right? Joy in the Lord. That's Sometimes we say it's detached from circumstances. Could you imagine? I loved being in here. We had such joy in the Holy Spirit with worshiping our great God and King Jesus Christ. It's an evidence of the Spirit that God gives us joy. Love, joy, peace. This harmony, this sense of God, you are in control and I'm all right with it. Things aren't going well, things aren't perfect, but God, I'm here with you. Love, joy, peace, patience, enduring, being able to suffer long, kindness, being friendly, being generous, goodness, moral goodness, being good as God says. Faithfulness, able to be relied upon, dependable. When, when people can depend on us, not just our employers who pay us money, not just our kids who rely on us, but people who are in the church can rely on us to be there for no good reason other than that the Holy Spirit has put it there. Gentleness, being kind and tender and self-control. Self-control is the idea of just controlling your passions. We're all passionate people. We've been born to be passionate, and God wants you to be passionate. God wants those things for you. Look on down to verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Verse 25, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. The word live is very interesting because it's the Greek word zao. It basically just means life. God has caused you, if you're a Christian, and you're here with us this morning or listening online, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you live spiritually because of what God has done. I live because of what God has done. So if we live by the Spirit, if you're a Christian, let us also walk by the Spirit. Greek word stoicheo. I think I have a photo up here. Um, maybe some runners, I think, is what I had. Keep in step. It's also translated keep in step. You know what's great about running a marathon? There is a course set out and a way to go. You see, we have not understood the war until today that God is striving against your flesh and there is only one way to go. We have to yield ourselves to the Spirit. How do we do that? We ask him. I don't know what he's going to tell you to do got me. But I'll pray for you and you pray for me. See, because stoicheo, to walk, to keep in step, has the idea of being on purpose and on mission. And we as Christians and we as the church have spent so much time doing neither, but wandering around. So as we come, we can be confident of this. We can be confident that when we ask God, 
that his spirit will give us direction. And here this morning, let's keep in step. We have to keep in step with the spirit. What's God going to do? We don't know. But it's going to be good. So let's follow and walk with the spirit this morning as we sing our last song. Father God, we love you. Compromise has infected the church because God compromise lives inside of us and our flesh. So we say to you, Lord God, will you come down? We cannot, by making rules, do what you have asked us to do. We need your spirit. Will you come and bear much fruit that all the credit may be to you? Help us to come to you with confidence, knowing, God, that you cannot be defeated. We love you and thank you in Jesus' good name. Amen.